uh, um, and you end up with just a warehouse full of stuff that you just you know can't get rid. Uh, it's crazy. Well, one thing I can one thing I can tell you from experience is if you buy like fruit of the loom swag, people don't want to wear it. No, no, you've got to you go. Buy, we had we bought something like in Candidate ID. We bought something. I think it was like Columbus or Patagonia or something like that, and that went like hotcakes. But almost everything we bought was like really cheap. That was me. Doesn't work. Yeah, cheap. doesn't work. I think I think if you can go cheap, you want to buy something that is, you know, literally of use, like a cap or something, or a pair of gloves or whatnot, or t-shirt. I've got enough of you know. Isim stuff is just brilliant. See if you want great swag, go hang around the Isim's booth at like any of the events, like Unleash or whatever. You'll get Nike baseball caps. You'll get Patagonia stuff. You'll get like. Really, really good stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, you know, brain food swag obviously needs to happen. Hasn't happened for years, even though I promise it. Um, so maybe 2024 needs to be, uh, needs to be the moment. Um, anyway, folks, uh, welcome to Brain Food Live on air. It is episode two three eight. It is the final episode of the year. Would you add a money bit? Um, I came on here with a massive smile. Also, Adam did. I think we're, we're basically knackered. Uh, we've had like a massive, massive session. I don't know how you feel about it, Adam, but I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. I'm looking forward to this chat, obviously, but whew, good to have a break. Good good for us to, at least two weeks where nothing's happening. So, um, so yeah, it's been a big like, overhaul. I feel like a marathon runner who's, or no, I feel like a runner who's doing a marathon but hasn't quite trained for it properly. Like, I can get round, but the last five miles, I'm pretty much crawling. Yeah, it's painful. I mean, don't get me wrong, guys. This is great to have a chat with you, but it's almost like at the end, you can just feel it. It's like uh, really, uh, really on top of us. So done a massive amount of programming, probably about 45, 47 or so, something like that. Uh, we'll do a similar bunch brunch next year, so we've only got a couple of weeks break. But hopefully, I'll give you a bit more spell, Adam, as uh, as a co-host. I don't want to wear you out, mate. Um, but anyway, um, welcome, everybody. Great to see you. Today, we're going to do the final of the Year in Review Look Back series. We're going to talk economy, labor market, and jobs, particularly as it pertains to recruiters. We've got RPO people, we've got agency people, we've got in-house recruitment people. So trying to cover all of the gamut uh, of the people that do recruiting and uh, just have a look back to see what this year has been all about. Um, so folks, uh, let's make sure that uh, you can hear uh, and see me and Adam okay. So if you've heard our dialogue and you can hear and see us okay, let us know in the chat. In the, in the chat stream on Crowdcast if you're watching it here. Uh, if you're watching it on any of these Crowdcasts, which I know that, Adam, you are uh, live streaming this. Emma, you're also doing the same. Rob Walker, I think Neil as well. You're all live streaming on LinkedIn. If you're watching it on any of those LinkedIn's, let me know in the comment thread whether you can hear and see me okay. Um, hopefully, we are going live in those places. Let me just quickly check. Um, da -da -da. Uh, yes, we are. We are going live. I've only failed doing that twice this year. So it's like forgivable, right? Two, two mistakes out of 45. It's all right. Um, anyway, before we kick off, uh, let's have to thank our sponsors every week, folks. This year, we haven't failed to get a sponsor in. Um, it really helped us supporting uh, this show. Uh, and of course, this week, uh, seeing us into the new year, it is actually Poetry. Poetry are sponsoring the show. <laughs> The recruitment enablement out of a box. Um, so Adam Gordon, you are the founder of this company. Tell us all about it, man. 
Yeah, I really like that actually. You you completely ad libbed some description of my 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 company's like um, value proposition and described it as recruiter enablement out of the box, and that's a really good description. So um, poetry is a recruiter enablement workspace that includes twenty eight uh, inbuilt native um, solutions for recruitment marketing, recruitment operations, recruiter learning, and tools. Things like um, uh, facilities for for managing and building your social media posts, social media outreach messaging, uh, boolean strings, job adverts, libraries for policies and processes, and things like that. All powered by generative AI. So if your recruiters are looking for inspiration, then they can get it really easily. We have this is a pretty informed audience that turns up for here. So I'll just explain. We've done a very, very large amount of prompt engineering in the background so that a recruiter just fills in simple forms. And that sends very, very detailed prompts into the generative AI engine that we use to return back pretty close to what the recruiter is looking for. And you can put in lots of marketing templates that are centrally controlled as well so that what the recruiter gets back is yeah, very close to, to what's needed. Um, the first user is free forever at www.poetryhr.com. Sign up, you'll get access. You can scout out the workspace and determine which of the 28 solutions you're going to start with first. This, I believe, is as important to your team's success as your applicant tracking system. And looking forward to a great 2024 of recruiter enablement. There we go. Longest monologue ever from Adam. But you know what? I think very, very interesting as well. Everyone has got to get more efficient. There's no question that's going to be the case in 2024. Um, and this is your kind of route in. So do check it out. Um, Adam, by the way, I don't mean to sort of cause you to tell you about your business, of course. Um, very generous that you've got like a, a, a one user for free. But I I don't know, have a think about something you could offer as a new year thing. Um, because if we're back as you as a sponsor in, uh, in 2024, maybe always attractive to try and, you know, uh, give people additional incentive. Uh, so check it out, folks. Okay, uh, let's get on I with will, this. I will not put the prices up in 2024. That's your additional incentive. <laughs> you should actually threaten to put the prices up in 2024 unless you sign up. Um, you know, within a certain time frame, you know, it's Chris emergency here. Um, all right, listen, let's go. Let's review the newsletter, mate. Did you read it, fella? And if so, what was interesting from last week? Yeah, I did. Um, please prompt me on this is the last one, because the last one is a nice tie in with the subject of the recruiting brain food today. So I don't want to miss it. Um, I want to talk about uh, the Harvard Business Review article about how generative AI is going to influence the way that we design jobs. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to be redesigning processes in, in many jobs. We're going to be redesigning workflows. And really interesting research that they included in there. So they looked at something like 30 different industries, and they determined that 44% of working hours across all industries had the potential to be disrupted by generative AI, which had a high of 72% in banking. 72% of hours worked in banking have the potential to be disrupted by generative AI. Uh, insurance was shortly behind that. Capital markets was shortly behind that. So basically, the financial services area, very high potential to be disrupted in terms of most 
jobs in there. It's pretty much all white collar jobs in there, isn't it? So yep. I guess that's probably why. Um, they also segmented it. What, we get a bit confused in recruitment sometimes when we think, talk about sectors. Um, and we, when we actually mean professions um, or job categories. But anyway, they, they also segmented it according to job categories. And they found that um, there was one job category. They didn't actually say what it was, I don't think. But there was one job category where as much as 63% of the actual work in that job um, could be disrupted by generative AI. And there was five job categories where it was higher than 50%, which I thought was interesting. They, they, they broke it down even further into like, they didn't give the results on this, but they did do the research into over 19,000 different tasks um, and found that more than half um, had the ability, had the, there was the potential for more than half of those tasks to unleash new found like creativity and new solutions as a result of generative AI. So like, I know we talk about Gen AI a lot in here. You include it a lot in the newsletter, but that's because it is, has got a massive impact on jobs and therefore on recruiting. Yeah, 100%. It's massively, massively important. If jobs are going to change, obviously they are. Then obviously, firstly, our sort of size of market might change um, and our focus in terms of the types of skills we're recruiting for will change. Um, because if previously, you know, we were recruiting for this type of skill set and we're now understanding that AI might disrupt this significantly, this type of skill set we'd previously recruited for, then presumably that's going to shrink in terms of the the, the 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 focus for what we're doing so we, we need to guide companies towards the skill sets that cannot be disrupted by ai um now what i like particularly about this article is not only their research because we've seen quite a few of these and it's a bit doom and gloom and all this kind of stuff but these guys actually come up with a very positive slant because they give you a, a framework to do the redesign in such a way that you could basically um, unpack your job rebuild it in an AI proof way. And I thought, you know what, that's actually one of the first examples where I've seen someone actually propose uh, a way in which you could redesign a job. Uh, so it takes advantage of AI and doesn't actually get run over by it. So, so yeah, I wonder what your thoughts are on that actually. Yeah. I mean, it is written in a way it's written in a way, which is here's great news rather than <laughs> what some people are going, which is, Oh no, generative AI is terrible. It's it, it produces wrong information. We need to stop using it. Um, because they're just stuck in what they're doing and can't adapt. Um, so this is actually written in a very, yeah, no, this is good news for everybody kind of uh, uh, tone. It's it's good news, but we have to action. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm, that's something I'm going to try and do for, for Tony for as well, where you're looking at basically recruitment work, analyzing it on a task level. You know, what is it you're doing in terms of tasks? How much time are you spending on those tasks? And then you think about, okay, how much can AI actually disrupt this task or support this task? In which case, you've got to aggressively apply it to those places and then repackage the job such that it doesn't actually contain overly much stuff that can be done by AI because otherwise yeah. your job's going to shrink. So I think they've got a very clear way uh, to do it. It's not quite a framework, but it's at least a stepping stone toward a framework. Um, and yeah, definitely worth a read. I've shared it in the chat stream there. Make yourself, uh, avail yourself to that post. Very digestible. Okay, uh, give us a couple more, mate. Um, okay, Slack's workforce index. I, I've got mixed mixed thoughts about this, right? And I'll explain why in a minute. And I know I'm going to get, I've, I'm in danger of getting cancelled for what I'm about to say. 
So those who log off at the end of the working day apparently register 20% higher productivity than those people that are like working beyond their scheduled hours. Um, is that surprising to me? It's probably not surprising to me because if I think about my least productive work, it was when I was employed and when I was doing like crazy hours. And actually, most of the stuff I was doing, like for the 10 years that I was employed by other people, I wasn't that productive, to be honest. But I was, I did, there was a lot of presenteeism. I was in the office a lot. I was in communication with people a lot. But actually, it probably wasn't as productive um, as it could have been had I been a lot more focused. Um, another aspect to this, which I think is, is that specific point, which is quite important, is those who work longer hours register more than two times the amount of work-related stress and burnout and 70% have 70% less satisfaction with their working circumstances. I, I wonder if the, is the problem that what they're asked to be do, it could, if, in which case it could be a culture issue, or is it that they really need some better skills around being productive? Um, you know, making, break, make, making time for breaks improves productivity, and then the, they talk about, this is Slack writing this, they talk about the Goldilocks zone. I don't quite understand what Goldilocks has got to do with it, but um, they, they're saying that the, the ideal amount of like focus time, which I guess means like individual getting on with stuff time, is four hours, and that two hours per day, that's the tipping point where people start to feel overburdened with meetings. I can't, I can't remember the last time I did less than like less than about four hours of meetings a day. It's, it's, it's almost never. I'm, I'm actually probably going to have some of that time over Christmas, but that's not normal. Is that normal for people? Not no, you're, you're not a normal person though, because you're an owner manager of a, of a textile. So, so no, presumably... I've worked for other, I have worked for other companies though. In fact, I worked for other companies quite recently and um, people were not doing two hours or less of meetings. That just, that just was not happening at all. Yeah. Um, just one, one, last, one last point about this, which really stood out to me. Only one out of four um, workers agreed that the time between th 3 and 6 p.m. was highly productive. Now, I'm, I, this is where I might, I'm in danger of getting cancelled. What the hell are you doing if you're not productive between those hours? I mean, fine, if your day's meant to finish at 5 o'clock, fine, 5 o'clock, whatever. But between 3 and 5, you're unproductive? Um, I mean, get fit for work. Really, get fit for work. You're, if you're not capable of doing a full day's work, you need to get fit for work. All right. So you're basically calling them all for slovenly, overweight slot slobs. I'm um, not commenting on any of these weight or anything. energy problems. Uh, yeah, but that's that was what you had in your mind. Um, but I tell I tell you what though, uh, I I do get like the post lunch kind of you know comatose. It's it's firstly, what are you eating for lunch? That's the have first. an espresso. Yeah, yeah, you gotta think, you gotta rethink the size of your lunch. I had a massive sandwich this this lunchtime, total mistake. Uh, have two eggs and a bit of salad, mate. Uh, that that'll sort you out. You you'll fly through. So you, your consumption at lunch, I think, basically kills your productivity. Um, but I think what was interesting here, I mean, obviously productivity is a very difficult thing to manage, and I believe Slack kind of did a, a, a kind of went with the self-reported productivity angle, which of course everyone's going to self-report. You know, my productivity was obviously 
poorer if I work harder. You know, uh, that's the that, that's generally what people would like to report because they want to try and suppress the amount of hours they're meant to work. So anyway, um, I'm I'm not entirely trustful trustful of how they measure productivity. Even though overall, I've got a sympathy with the fact that no one can sit there in front of a computer for ten hours uh, solidly and presume to be productive. That's not the case. Um, I think you are working in blocks. Um, and one one thing I find, Coke is not going to help you. Um, no, no, no. The, the it, caffeine in that is, and Bob said it as well. A large diet Coke, completely. No, 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 no. I don't know how diet Coke has suddenly turned into some sort of miracle drink. I mean, come on, guys, it's definitely it's bad for you. Um, uh, listen, there's all kind. We should do a food show actually. How to get high energy for 2024, get some nutritionists in to help us. I'm pretty certain they're not going to, they're going to recommend Coke Zero or any form of Coke. Um, but uh, but yeah, really interesting report. Go and dive into it, have a look. See, I think lots to think about in terms of management of your own time. Just want to highlight something Bob mentioned, which is really important like manage your energy, not manage your time. It's like if you're yeah. feeling your energy is low, go and do something. Typically do something physical. If it's just taking a walk or taking a break, better than just sitting there doing nothing and thinking you're doing something. 15-minute brief walk, that's Angie, quite correct. Um, do some sit-ups, press-ups, whatever it is. Just shake yourself out and you'll be fine. Um, and then it's like, okay, when are you in the zone? And when you're in the zone, you got to just ignore interrupts. That's one thing I've learned is – you know, if you're sitting there on multiple apps and looking at multiple screens, you're going to get buzzed every two minutes, in which case your brain's distracted and you just reset from zero again. So you've got to have a long time doing on your own stuff without interrupt, even if it means turning off the Internet. I wonder whether you, you know, people think that's crazy, but literally go Wi-Fi free. If you've got a document to do, just do that and you'll find you, you'll do it in like less than half the time. Um, so um, lots of things we could try. But anyway, really interesting to read. Um, go and check it out. Okay, one more before we get into this talk. Um, Adam. Right. Glassdoor's workplace trends. Um, it's quite e economics-y, so that's why I thought it was an interesting segue. Um, in next year will be the tipping point where there's more uh, Gen Zs than boomers. Um, I think they said more Zoomers than boomers. They've got quite a dramatic quite dramatic subject headings for the different points they've made in this. Um, is that, is that, what, what is, is that interesting? I don't know. I don't know if it's interesting or not, but um, time moves on, I guess. Um, wages are going to keep going up, but benefits are going to erode apparently. So organizations are going to be less like in the way of flexible benefits and pensions and, It's me that's gone. That is because companies are going to need less skilled workers, so less like software developers, for example, than they than they did, or it's going to cool off. Should I say? Um, they're suggesting morale um, is uh, is going to remain low. I think they they called it a layoff long shadow. So morale is going to be low in the workplace because of a hangover, I guess, from. Um, uh, like reduction in force, especially in 2023. Yeah, I mean, it's a, really, it's a really good read. I mean, people should just check it out. Uh, usually when you see sort of these types of surveys, you get basically like seven seven assorted cliches 
um, uh, that you think, yeah, right. I've I've read this like for a hundredth time, but um, uh, Glassdoor have actually come up with some uh, fairly unique angles, I think, on things that were were, were interesting. Um, and I think some of the 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 signposting they're putting towards next year is quite uh, quite relevant, uh, particularly how significant layoffs are in terms of damaging the morale of the the, the employees that you already that you keep. Um, so, sure. so, so this is very, very important. Um, uh, and there's a long tail of this, um, the, the, the changes on sort of the interest on equity, for instance, um, and, and whether people want more cash, etc. all of these things are, um, are really interesting for us to absorb because if we're going to be recruiting in 2024, um, it's kind of makes sense to go with the zeitgeist. And by the way, um, the generational aspect, I think will become increasingly more important as we move forward year on year. Um, and the reason why this is important is quite simply, um, there are like significant value differences between different age groups. Um, uh, and we're talking about diversity and inclusion, for instance. We're talking about uh, uh, politics within the workplace. We're talking about should CEOs be, you know, demonstrate, you know, wider political concerns, social concerns, etc. All of these things differ according to your generational sort of grouping, more or less. Uh, obviously, with caveat, um, um, but there is uh, some discernible differences. So if we're recruiting, um, we need to manage, firstly, we manage a multi-generational workforce. That's something we've never done before. Not five generations. I think that's going to happen next year uh, onwards, um, where we have you know, not four, but five generations in the workforce. Even further, you, you look at things like you know, extension of the retirement age and stuff like this. It's, it's evident that we're going to end up having a much more age diverse workforce in which case what does that mean in terms of job design what does that mean in terms of performance management right now we design the job without thinking about persons a person's life circumstances um but guess what you know when i'm like 75 i'd probably not want to work a 50 hour week um but if i'm 25 i'd be blasting through no problem so but you know we just we don't even think about this um so just have one more just one more quick one more quick one that was in that which was was around the premium that people attach to human to human interactions as we can now and generative ai they've said is it, it um accelerated this so we can get more information more easily through chatbots and generative ai and whatever um Actually, people place a, a higher and higher premium on the ability to talk to an individual. And I think that's a trend we're going to see in recruiting. There's a company in the US called VET, which I'm really interested in. And, and what they do is they have a, they have a panel of individuals who um, get basically get buzzed to say somebody just applied for that job. And then they immediately um, get on the phone and say, hey, Hung, thanks for applying for the job. Here's the process. Can I can I ask you any? You know, have you got any questions that I can help you with or whatever? Massively more, um, you know, engaged with the job as a result. You know, the individuals. So I think that we might see some really interesting kind of almost um, analog type approaches coming back into recruiting as companies want to stand out. I don't know whether you saw when when Becky Lee was on on the show a couple of weeks ago of EY, and that's exactly what they're doing. They, she's calling it um, recruiting vintage, um, going back to in person interviews, going back to high analog processes. In 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 sort of that scenario, it was, it was kind of an antidote against AI usage from candidates. 
Um, uh, but you can see this is going to be a differentiator. If we get hyper-efficient uh, with all of the automation, all of the technology that's going to you know, help us move forward all, all well and good, uh, but one way to differentiate is, of course, simply do different from everyone else. Um, and I think at the right time, we are going to want to speak to a human being, whether that's at the beginning of the process, middle of the process, end of the process, I don't know. Um, but I do think it will mean that um, people with personalities will will succeed. Um, and I, I mean, uh, almost like people with like marginal personalities, I think will succeed even more. Um, I want to be careful my language here, but, you know, people who are very different. Um, I think we're obviously very human compared to everyone else who's in the middle, very vanilla. I think we're going to begin to, you know, is this a human being or not? Is this a AI generation? You know, we distrust the, 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 the vanilla normal and start trusting the people a little bit that have always been a little bit off the wall. So, so yeah, it's going to be good for the weird ones, I think. Um, anyway, let's get on with this. Um, people have been waiting long enough. Let's give you a, a quick review of the year, Adam, before we get in. I mean, 2023, you've seen it from a big corp perspective. Uh, iSIMS then launched, obviously, poetry. Um, generally speaking, how are you seeing this year compared to last? Um, what's your view of uh, economy, labor market, and jobs in particular? Shit show, shit show, shit show. Uh, it, it, arguably, it's a really bad time to be trying to start a new business, doing a different thing that nobody's doing. Um, <laughs> But, uh, argue, you know, the other argument would be it's a good time because nobody's buying very much new things anyway. So you may as well try and change the narrative uh, while they have got like uh, a little bit of time to actually consider uh, different things. I think that recruitment teams who had 50 people at the beginning of the year and are now 35 people are not going to go back to 50 people. That's not going to happen um, in, in, in in-house talent acquisition. Um, I think that they're, they might go back to 40, but the five additional people are not going to be recruiters. They're going to be people whose job it is to make sure that everybody else is more productive. Um, and, you know, it's been a terrible year for a lot of people. And I wish, you know, it, it hadn't been such a, a bad year. But obviously everything I've just said is just complete personal. And I'm looking forward to hearing what the experts say. Yep, fair enough. I, I think it's very sectoral, but I, I do th I do think you know you mix in the the, the sort of the information you, you're absorbing everywhere, but also the anecdotal information, the anecdata. Uh, it all kind of points in the same direction. We don't want to belabor the points. It's been very very tough for everybody, um, and uh, you know that's the state of play. Um, uh, we'll look into some explanations as to why that is. But let's hear from some of our guests. We're going to bring on Duka first. Uh, he's working on PO side. He's a good example, I think, of that market. It was booming two years ago. It was like probably the best place to do recruitment. Let's have a look at what happened in 2023. Um, and uh, and uh, we'll just get his perspective on things uh, as we look forward to the year to come as well. Uh, there he is. Uh, boom. Let's see if he can come on. I mean, it's been tough, but it's also been a winnowing process, like like all kind of like uh, contracting type situations. Um, the people that survive it um, are going to basically uh, enter into a marketplace that's been cleaned out, if you like, of uh, of, of the competition to a degree. So um, it's almost like hanging in there as long as you can. Uh, Dukka, how are you doing? Wonderful to see you, sir. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? 
thanks, Han. <coughs> Hi, Adam. How are you doing? Um, Duke, one of the founders of uh, We Are Keen, we're an embedded recruitment company based in Amsterdam and in uh, beautiful Berlin, and uh, supporting mostly innovative fast skating tech companies and uh, also some larger uh, enterprise. Uh, and um, yeah, that's it, man. Fantastic to uh, see you, Duke. Um, so, Duke, listen, we've just, you know, obviously, uh, yeah, we want to be. Uh, uh, we want to be honest, but also not depressing. So how has the year been uh, for you in RPO world? Uh, how has it been your different markets? Have you seen yeah. differences between Germany and Netherlands, for instance? Definitely. Yeah, it was just, of course, a little bit of thinking what happened last year and also sort of zoom back to the show we had exactly a year ago, uh, where I actually met up with uh, with Sile from MetaView, uh, which was, to me, at least the first well, opening of new technology, AI and stuff, and uh, it turned out quite nicely for them. But, and, and I also felt like, I know we remember discussed 2022, and like, well, a lot of stuff happened, and what will happen in 2023, and I'm not entirely sure what I mentioned, and but now I was, of course, trying to rethink what happened in 2023, and it was just like, a lot, but at the same time, it was just like, yeah, we didn't really go forward a lot. We didn't go down a lot. It was a lot of stuff happened, but it of course it wasn't the best of years for us to be really frank and honest. But at the same time, it was also interesting to learn, um, yeah, that we could sort of venture into new, new, new services, new things with our with our clients, basically. But it was a, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a bit of a bumpy ride this year, hundred percent. Yeah. What what kind of services? proved to be interesting for your customer base, um, Duca? Well, what I think, like, when, like, what you just mentioned before is that uh, when we, uh, we were in the hot seat, right, or in the hot spot, basically, in 21, 20, everybody was looking for recruiters, and everybody was, uh, I want to have an RPO company, let's do RPO, and everybody was only thinking about the one aspect of our business, which is we provide you with amazing recruiters when you're scaling up. But they were more or less forgetting, like when business goes down, you also need to be flexible and scale down with them, right? So the thing that we do and have always been doing in RPO is that we provide additional eh, workforce, recruiters, whatever. And in good times, we support you. And when you're going down, then we need to scale down and then we need to find something else. So I specifically think it's sort of this specialism of bringing on board really good recruiters, well-trained recruiters, uh, in combination with uh, flexibility is something that we've always been doing. But of course, the, the 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 scope of our of our services in the, in the in the great years were really around capacity. We need extra recruiters. We need to hire talent. Uh, we need to uh, basically beat our competition in in terms of onboarding the right talent. And that sort of transitioned a little bit to, towards what Adam just mentioned as well. And I don't think I'm mentioning anything new here. That people just need to do more with less, or the same with less, more basically. And that mentioned that sort of the the knowledge that we have as a company. Not specifically around capacity, also sort of transferred more into technology. So, what kind of technology do you see being applied within all the companies that you're active in, and then coming to us and something that we more or less did in an informal way? Hey, we've seen this company using HR tech tooling around this topic. Might also be something for you. Really, sort of transitioning this into a proposition as well, consultancy and even uh, uh, transitioned into implementation as well. So the par part of our team is not only working on actually doing the recruiting, um, but also uh, supporting and guiding companies, hey, around this specific topic, within your recruitment process, we think that's this, top this is the top three that you should be thinking about and looking at and, and perhaps even implement. Um, um, so that's one thing that we did and a little bit similar to something because I think a lot of the recruitment teams were also have, have, I don't know, a little bit too much time on their hand because before they were really busy with recruiting, obviously. Well, that sort of came down a bit. 
And, and a lot of, I think, leaders in TA as well had to make up their minds, so are, are we letting to go people? So we let go a few people. But at the same time, how can we make sure that we are ready for AI next year, whatever, to really make sure that the, 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 the recruitment technology that we have in place is rock solid, that all, all the processes are, uh, are uh, 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 well, perfect, basically, or that we're finding the, new, uh, the newest uh, stuff in town, like MetaView, whatever. Uh, but also in terms of the employer branding, so the, the, so at the, so the attraction part, so how are we are going to be set up for success in terms of around our branding? And also within that field, within that service, something that we've yeah, supported companies before a little bit more informal and that sort of transitioned way more into, well, a solid proposition, basically. So in that sense, it's, it's talent, technology, HR tech, whatever you want to call it, and uh, branding attraction, basically. I think, I think any, any services provider in our space that has stood still in 2023 whether that's an RPO or a branding agency or a, a staffing company or, or a tech provider, anybody that has um, stood still in 2023 has had a great year and is going to have a good 2024 as a result. And I think probably less than half will have stood still and most will have gone backwards. So. Yeah. yeah. No, sorry, Duke. I, I really like the idea of, uh, of, of the informal services up yours typically provide is kind of gratis is, is not the main thing because you're just supplying capacity supplying candidates suddenly it turns into maybe a, a serviceable revenue stream because yes companies actually do need advice on technologies they do need support and implementation um, they don't know how to make selections they don't know how to actually uh, even train their people to use these technologies so um, that's a very interesting segue and i think it kind of adds value uh, to the value proposition of the business um, because it means that you're more than just a supplier of people. So, um, so yeah, very interesting that uh, that you you kind of uh, discovered that and and uh, and chipped away at it. Um, quick question in terms of like segments or so sectors and segmentations. Like yeah. you guys were working obviously 2021. It was all about look anybody scaling up, anybody uh, had secured an investment round. Of course, that would be perfect marketplace. We know that investment had crashed. Um, did you then pivot into different sectors? And if so, which ones seem to be more uh, most sort of uh, active or interesting for RPO? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Like there was no there was no other option, basically, right? Because the, before the, the phone was ringing 24-7, basically, and all of a sudden that, that stopped and died. Um, uh, so we definitely more or less pivoted a little bit. Like within tech, we went into, let's say, impact, uh, green tech, uh, social impact, those type of companies where, where there was still quite a bit of funding ongoing, earlier stage where a lot of work had to be done around also capacity, but also the other other services that I just said. Uh, but also, uh, but that, something that we've been doing from day one, and that's, that has to do a little bit more with my background, that we had always been working with larger financial institutions, the big corporates, where they were just, they were not dependent on the funding, uh, they were into a transition or, or, or whatever. Um, so they were definitely looking, and the, the, the funny thing there was, which we, I guess, sort of utilized a little bit, is that and that happened quite often that the bigger corporates before they were looking at the really fast scaling tech, tech comes like, oh my God, they're doing all this cool stuff. So they had almost like a FOMO on, on, on let's say, on the recruitment side of the, of the bigger companies. And of course, from, from our perspective, being an R, R, and, and a boutique embedded RPO company, 
And um, we were also seeing because these these guys have been in house with all these and super fast scaling unicorn companies, so they're quite eager to get to know us and to work with us on specific uh, parts of their business, either with I don't know tech hubs in different countries, uh, I don't know cross border recruiting, whatever. So we were we were able to to pick it up, but that just to say it was really easy, and I could just pick up the phone and start dialing, and the business was there. Def definitely not. Um, but basically, so to answer your question, so yes, larger enterprises uh, where it's just more stability, longer term, uh, and they were quite eager to get to know basically yeah, uh, recruiters from our side who had been in-house with all the super fast scaling uh, companies. And then specifically within, let's say, the, the tech scene, uh, relatively smaller, but in the, yeah, the, I guess the green impact tech is how I tend to uh, sort of... Uh, segment them a little bit basically but that worked out well and of course that worked out quite well as well from the internal perspective because like we can talk about the outside all the time of course i had to we had to deal with our own talent partners as well who got a little bit scary like seeing all the layoffs and just like the, the volatility of the market and um, so it was good for them as well to either go into companies we were a little bit more stable where we could we were able to well let's say fix long-term contracts and simultaneously to jump on that let's say the green trend a little bit that they could support companies um, which we're doing, uh, let's say, uh, for doing stuff for good, right? So that was definitely something that we've uh, benefit, benefited from. And um, But also, uh, really, really bluntly, with some of our partners, they just said, like, we love to have you on board, but we need to talk about the prices. So, well, let's, let's talk, right? Because uh, um, we need to continue uh, our business and support everybody that's there. So uh, let's go. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so there was sort of price pressure down, of course. You had to negotiate. You had to do all of that yeah, stuff. We, the, we know that's the reality of it. Yeah, I think that the, the, the mix was really specifically for our business. I'm not too sure how many RPO people who are there, but basically we need to do make sure that our workforce is at our client, at our partners the whole time. So the utilization rate needs to be as high as possible. So moving, let's say, I think end of 2020 already, 2022 already, but also moving into 2023. There was pressure because a lot of the RPO companies in Europe, eh, and uh, of course, they didn't have assignments for all the people. So they had people on standby, right, which cost a lot of money, which could be dangerous when, of course, there's too many of those. At the same time, um, when they were talking to clients for a project and or assignments, those assignments were usually a little bit shorter. So moving into, let's say, pre-war pre time in that sense. Nine months, twelve month contracts off the bat was completely, completely normal and fine. But sort of afterwards, so moving into twenty twenty three, those assignments became shorter as well. So when we would be in a pitch with a client, they would have there was price pressure because other companies were willing to drop their prices significantly. At the same time, the projects were shorter, meaning that also the termination periods were shorter, which sort of is a in terms of risk eh, in your portfolio of clients means that the risk goes up quite dramatically. So that was not a nice mix, meaning that me and as a business owner together with my business partners, you're quite internally focused because you're trying to figure out how can we do this all the time, right? And before that there was people on assignment, running business, of course, you're trying to add value, have conversation, what, can I, what else can we do to support you, et cetera, et cetera. But that to me meant a lot that, that, that we, have a, we have something in, I'm not sure if it's in, in English phrase as well, but in, in Nazareth, you look at your belly button all the time, right? So sometimes- Naval gazing. Sorry? It's called naval gazing. That's it. So I thought that quite quite a lot of the times last year, uh, and something I like doing is this, right? Talking to you, hearing what's going on, Mark. What can we do uh, to grow and to have fun and to uh, to add value to uh, to everybody around us? That was just less the scenario, to be really frank, uh, uh, compared to uh, last year's. Yeah. 
No, we have to be candid. And you know what? It's great to see you react as, a, as an entrepreneur, be, be aggressive when you need to be and, and get people utilized. Utilized is absolutely key. Um, there are a number of people in the marketplace. Obviously, they've crunched down. There's a couple of them have gone, on, gone out of business. Um, yeah. uh, so we know that's going to happen. Uh, those decisions that you're making basically keep you in the ring. Um, and I see it very much like a boxing match. You know, if you're still there at round nine, you've got a chance. Um, uh, just make sure you're still in the ring. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's basically going to suit you well. I do believe that going forward, companies will be really keen to continue working with RPOs for the scalability factor. And so they can offload the risk. Uh, so I'm not yeah. saying the work is going to be any more pleasant, but I think the work will definitely arrive. Yeah. Because it, yeah, so I'm sorry to interrupt there, Hung, but I, I, obviously similar to what Adam was saying before, right? So, so in-house teams scaled down. I don't believe as well that they're going to go up again, but they could foresee, I don't know, when it go to market, launching a product, whatever, they need additional capacity. They want this capacity to be uh, top-notch, basically. And uh, so that's definitely, there's room for RPO, embedded, whatever you want to call it. So in that sense, we're quite uh, enthusiastic and optimistic around, uh, around the possibilities that we will be able to have in the future and also the service that we will have to provide to uh, the, the, the marketplace. And, and I think it's also worth mentioning in that sense that we were quite exposed in that sort of heavily funded tech scene, of course, right? And there's so much more in this world than only the heavily funded tech uh, scene. So there's definitely more business out there. If you just look at the labor market in the Netherlands, in the economy in the Netherlands, of course, the economy is shit show, not doing well, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but in terms of labor shortage, in, in all the almost all segments, right? There's a, there's a, there's a labor uh, shortage. So in that sense, and, and Let's say I would I would argue that ninety five percent of the small medium enterprises in the Netherlands, perhaps even on a wider scale, have absolutely zero idea what a what a solid recruitment strategy looks like, or what kind of process they could have in place, or what kind of technology they could have in place, and what how they can stand out from the crowd with talking and thinking about branding. So I do see there's a, there's 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 a lot of potential there, hundred percent for for. I think recruitment, but also specifically for our uh, our, our niche, work, which we're which we're active in. Yeah, I do agree. And by the way, you're getting a lot of endorsements there. People like Ducker. Of course, we like Ducker. Go and follow this guy uh, on uh, on LinkedIn. And by the way, folks, that's exactly what we're going to have to do. Ducker, we want to say goodbye to, you, goodbye to you at this point. Wonderful to see you. I will be in Amsterdam right. next year for sure, multiple times. So I'll let you know. Um, and uh, but you have a very good uh, holiday and a great new year as well. Uh, and we'll catch up with you soon, man. Likewise, thanks, uh, Hung. Thanks, uh, Adam, and good luck with the business, man. Look, looks good. Like it. Chris Ducker, thank you. Yes, ciao, ciao. Cool. Very, very cool. Um, all right, let's do some uh, LinkedIn sharing, folks, because that's something we're going to always do um, on Brain Food Live. I uh, want to make sure that everyone kind of goes into next year with as many connections on LinkedIn as possible, because you know what? Quantity has a quality all of its own. I'm a big proponent on quantity being better than quality. So take your LinkedIn URL, share it in the chat stream, and make sure you connect with everyone who's done the same. You should walk away with 20, 30, 40 new connections. Um, uh, it's going to reinforce uh, your network into 2024. As Adam mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, this is kind of an educated audience that pays attention to this show. Uh, so the people you're going to be connecting with, I hope, are going to be individuals that will be happy uh, to have a prolonged conversation with you. Um, okay, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, by the way, uh, any, any of the LinkedIn's, please do the same. Just grab your LinkedIn URL, pop it into as a comment, and then anybody you see do the same as a comment, just add them. 
Um, usually when this happens, most people will accept um, and you just end up with loads more connections. So go ahead and do that. Okay, let's just march on because we haven't got a huge amount of time. Um, Neil Carberry, I'm going to bring you on now, talk about agency side. Uh, where is Neil? Uh, Emma, I'll bring you on a sec. Give me a, give me a moment. Um, Neil, where is he? There he is. Okay. Cool. By the way, while Neil's coming on, folks, take a look on the sidebar. Can you just check out the poll? Um, can you please vote on the poll? Um, I forget to, to ask people to do this, but um, uh, check out the poll. Go just start, uh, put a yes, no, maybe. Actually, vote on one of those things. Has your company basically grown or shrank on headcount this year compared to last? Uh, go and give us a vote there. Okay, Neil Carberry, wonderful to see you, sir. Um, Neil, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, hi, hi, hi I'm uh, Neil Carberry. I'm Chief Executive of the REC, which is the UK's uh, tra uh, trade and professional body for recruiters, particularly in agency, but also in-house. In and he's a big jambo as well. Look, look at that. Especially for you, Adam. <laughs> jambo, by the way, in case you didn't know, stands for Jam Tart, Heart of Midlothian. Football Club in Edinburgh, uh, which, by the way, I do think have the, the coolest name in football in any uh, any league. Uh, but there we go. And by the way, Neil is on TV a lot. You should kind of uh, take a snapshot or a screenshot of this because uh, Brain Food Live kind of broke Neil into the mainstream. Uh, since <laughs> since that time, he's been on like BBC. He's interviewed yeah. with famous I, people. I, I'm going to renegotiate the deal on the royalties, hun, because it's, <laughs> it. it's killing me. <laughs> No, but seriously, you've been invited to speak. You've been involved in government as well. You've been advising those folks, all of these things. I think as a representative of recruitment agencies in the UK, it's actually great uh, that we're getting this exposure and also getting this input at senior level as well. Um, looking back on the 2023 uh, as a year for a recruitment agency market in the UK, Neil, what's your general verdict on things, man? So we can over-index what's happening in tech, right? And tech didn't have a... A, a, a recession in 2020 because people were pouring money into it because of what was going on and tech's been tough this year and the other sector that's been particularly tough in recruitment is construction and construction is always a bit of an economic bellwether it's not been a great economic year in frankly most countries in western europe um but actually if you look beyond those sectors some uh sectors are doing all right actually but the story is, it's not bad, but it's hard. So the labour mar labour markets in Western Europe, particularly in the UK, but in other states too, are really tight. Uh, clients are under pressure, and it's kind of unusual. We're not used to this. You know, clients, when clients' business is under pressure, usually they don't hire. Actually, we're in a position where they're having to hire, either because they're reshaping, as Adam was um, uh, saying, towards what they've got to do next, or because they just are labour and skills short broadly. So we've seen higher activity than we'd expect in a flat year. Revenue overall, particularly temp, up a bit to flat, um, perm down maybe 20% because clients lean on temp when the economy um, uh, is unpredictable. But, you know, that, that margin getting eaten up, you know, if you're a temp recruiter and you're effectively loaning your clients money at 2% for a decade, um, and then suddenly the rates go up to 10%, that's going to eat bits of your business. So I think that toughness and hanging in there it has been really important through this year. 
I I think you've both been a bit too gloomy about next year. I think the forward signals for the for the UK at least next year are actually pretty positive. The Q1. I always like uh, talking to Maritime UK about construction materials, and I'm going to tell you that for the last seven weeks, construction materials have been flowing into the UK at a really high rate, which is a sense that there's some stuff coming. So I think Q1 next year feels a bit like this year. I think Q2 and Q3, we'll see a, a, a decent recovery. Of course, inflation's coming down a bit. But actually, I think I'm a, I'm a great believer in the old animal spirits and uh, and people can't be miserable for too long. So I'm saying to you that 2024 is a better year for agencies than 2023. That's really good to hear. And I think agencies do feel positive. But, but to be yeah. honest with you, I think agencies are more agile um, yeah. because that's the nature of the game. And it's also your, your ability to pivot to different different market sectors is, is key. Um, and I hate to cite myself as an example here, but uh, I was around during dot-com crash era, early 2000s, and I switched immediately to telecoms recruitment, um, and I had brilliant years, um, even though obviously anybody stuck in dot-com world was like completely crushed, um, but it was not difficult to then pivot. Telecoms crashed, I just went do public sector NHS, um, and, and again had boom years. So I think the agility of agencies will basically uh, tell us, uh, see them all right. Uh, what might be interesting is what sectors you think are going to be particularly okay and which sectors do you think are going to be particularly not okay. What's your general view on that, uh, uh, Neil? So I think demand stays high in the sectors that where, where it has been high this year. So you think in logistics, you're thinking hospitality, you're thinking uh, healthcare, you're thinking social care. The problem there is as growth returns, can you get the people? So there might be a driver of pay inflation there that will be problematic for client relationships for agencies, but the demands there is, is can you service that demand at the margin that you you needed to? Um, on the other side, I think construction comes back. Engineering has been super strong this year. I think it stays strong. And I'll tell you why I think engineering stays strong in the UK, which is I think the UK has had a decade where it's been the country, the G eight or seven countries point out and go, mm, that's not great. I suddenly think we look like the value bet in, in the G7 um, because look, I talked to a lot of international investors, but if you look at uh, France post Macron, where the politics are in, um, in uh, Germany, to a certain extent, apologies to our American colleagues, where the politics are, seem to be going in the United States. In the UK, we've got a general election, but Rishi Sunak stopped doing the mad stuff. Keir Starmer isn't Jeremy Corbyn. So internationally, I think there's there's a bit of attract. I think Britain's in a better position to attract foreign investment now than it has been for maybe five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And I think I think because of that, se- tradable sectors like engineering are going to be strong. And I'd expect to see as IT recovers, London to look more attractive on IT as well. Yeah. Very, Can I ask very about? Go ahead. Have from the agency perspective, I. I I I don't like instinctively. I would have thought twenty twenty four might be quite a good year for agencies, even though, uh, you know, you it described us as being doom and gloom. I would have thought so, but that's because like as companies start to hire more again, they're maybe less likely to immediately go into new contracts with RPOs or to start scaling up their talent acquisition teams again, and therefore the flexibility of 
working with their agency suppliers might be um, quite attractive. So I wonder if there's um, historic evidence of coming out of bad years, agencies tend to have a good year and they're one of the first things to you know, start going well. It's dead clear, Adam. First in, first out, right? And right. the other thing about yeah. the economy is you don't know you're having a re recession until you're just coming out of it. So look at this morning's UK yeah. growth figures, which are, you know, they're not technically a recession, but they're basically one. Yeah. Um, I, I suspect that we will see some of that upswing will be companies leaning on agency. The other thing is, I think there's a lot of learning to do on the temp side around MSP. So I'm going to be contentious here, right? The behavior of some MSPs this year has not only been unethical, it has been immoral, and it's driving a price discussion with clients that cannot be sustained. So one of the things that we as agencies and the REC are going to have to do is educate clients on how much things really cost. Because mm. what we've had is a load of MSPs in the tent market buying market share at a, at, at a rate that can't really be serviceable, perhaps using some stuff in the supply chain that you'd rather not see, and then delivering a poor service, the client gets upset, bins the MSP, looks for the next thing, um, is looking for the professional service. You know, I'm right with that idea that this is a, a an in-person professional service to be to be successful. But the reference price has been set by that initial MSP. So there is something about, and it was interesting listening to, you know, when do you give earlier on, uh, do, uh, when do you give ground on price? There is something here about agencies not, you know, not being willing to do business just to do business in this market because the labor market is tight enough that you can probably go and find better business. Um, I think on MSP and RPO, there there will need to be a next generation of that. And I think that's something that agencies should think about what sort of MSP and RPO operators, one, they want to be if they're doing it, even if they're doing it mini. But, or, but secondly, do they want to work with? Because I suspect the you know the the era of the free and easy British labour market and labour market pretty much anywhere in Western Europe is over, and I don't think clients get that yet. The British labour force is just smaller than it has been for twenty years, and it's going to get smaller smaller still. And that's yeah, you know, in some ways that's good news for 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 recruiters, but it makes the job tough. Yeah, very interesting. By the way, folks, people who know MSP stands for managed service provider, basically someone who stands in between. Uh, the customer and a bunch of recruitment suppliers, essentially. Um, so very interesting um, as well, too. Uh, Neil, we're going to have to keep cracking through because I realize the time. And I've got to let everyone get on with their Christmas shopping if they still have it to do. So, Neil, wonderful to see you. Uh, let me take the opportunity to wish you a very happy Christmas and a great new year. Hope you take you a, a wonderful break. Um, and uh, we'll catch you uh, early next year. Of course, we, we've got th things to talk about, don't we? Uh, and we'll get you back on the show, of course. Well, we're going to do, the... we're, we're doing Brain Food Live. Uh, Adam and I are doing it live together from Cologne next June. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a football reference, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Do you know what? We should definitely do that. Um, all right, Neil, you take it Here's easy, Neil. man. Good to see you. All right, we're going to have to keep cracking on. Emma, uh, thank you for waiting patiently. We're going to bring you on ASAP. Sarah, I know you're waiting as well. I'll bring you on in a moment. Um, really interesting to hear. Always very good follow on Twitter. Uh, if you're still on Twitter or X as it is, 
Neil's one of the few people that's actually worth still following there um, because of the reports that RAC do. And also for, he is one of the upbeat folks um, that talk about sort of the recruiting side. Uh, Jesse Tinsley, another one uh, on the agency side in the US, also very upbeat. But we need to have that balance. I know I'm pretty downbeat. Um, so make sure you balance my negativity out with other people's positivity. Uh, okay, uh, there's Emma Murinson. Emma, wonderful to see you. Um, can you introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. Um, hi, both. Hi, everyone. My name's Emma. I'm managing director of the firm, and we are a membership training and consultancy business for the talent acquisition community. Amazing. And more than just that, how many members have you got uh, these days, um, Emma? Like, how, how big are you, you guys? Yeah, it's days? around 4,000 these days. So this is the paid uh, this is the paid membership, but we have um, a LinkedIn group as well, which is around 10,000. Still mainly focused on the UK, so 80% UK, but um, expanding internationally too. And that's a big focus for us next year. No, that's amazing. So this is uh, this is a person that's in, in in touch with a lot of in-house recruiters, a lot of people in in this market space. Uh, what's your what's your take? What's the what's what's the community been saying or, or you've been seeing in two thousand twenty three, uh, Emma? Sure. So echo a, a lot of what's been said before. So it, it has been a more challenging environment for people. Um, and I think it is very sector specific, as we've talked about before. So I mentioned, you know, construction is particularly uh, challenging, but, you know, pharma doing really well. Defence is still really strong. So so that's good to see. One of the interesting things that we've seen from a sort of TA team perspective is that I think 2023 for a lot of people has been about putting the foundations in place. So whether that's doing tech stack reviews, um, whether it's reviewing sort of EVPs, et cetera, that's been a focus. We've also seen people investing in specialist skills within their TA function. So in our annual report this year, we saw the employer branding resource had shot up from 43% to 50%. And talent intelligence, which was really interesting for me, was last year only 12% of TA teams had a dedicated uh, can't speak, dedicated resource. And that shot up to 49% this year. I mean, in terms of the, the survey pool itself, it was around 500 who took part, but it's still, I think, an interesting reflection. No, very good. By the way, please do read that report. I did share it in the newsletter, but Emma, feel free to share it in the chat whenever you're free to do that. Uh, really interesting. One of the annual things that happen, um, and it, it's just very interesting to see what the appetite or, or the general direction of travel mm -hmm. is. Um, for the industry. One thing you did say was interesting, this foundational work, um, which is stuff that if you're like hyper busy, you just don't have time basically to, to swap the wheels out when you're, you're flying down the motorway at 100 mile an hour, you need to take time to stop. Well, okay, suddenly we have a year where there's been a downturn, we're not recruiting in the same frenetic manner. Um, now is maybe a good time to think, okay, do I need to upgrade an ATS? Do I need to uh, review sort of fundamentally our recruiting processes um tell us a little bit more about this um emma i mean are you seeing yeah. that um how do you know that's true is it just a question you've asked the community or are there other yeah, ways so it's a question that we've asked the community and in terms of, we always ask them what their strategic priorities are etc um one area that people have been looking at from an in, is from a foundation's perspective is around internal mobility so this has really sort of been a step change over the last few years in 2021, the average ratio of external hiring to internal hiring was 70% external and 30% internal. And that's increased. So last year it rose to 33% internal, and this year it's actually 40% internal. And I think that's a reflection as it's, you know, 
it's challenging to recruit externally. People can't necessarily recruit externally. So they're really focusing on their internal workforces. And, you know, how do we identify potential? How do we do succession planning effectively? So I think that's something that's been really interesting to see. And I think that we'll continue to see that uh, as a trend in, in 2024. Yeah, I think so. And, and this is actually really important for people who are in the recruitment function, because we've always been externally facing. We kind of need to... We kind of need to expand our scope, don't we? We can't just say, oh, it's not our job to look at internally. We need to, that is a population we need to care about when we're hiring uh, for open vacancies. Yeah, I think there was a, a LinkedIn piece of research recently that said it was two and a half times um, more cost effective to uh, develop your internal talent rather than recruit externally. So again, sort of LinkedIn, I think, feel that it's a sort of a focus for, for people over the next sort of five years or so. Emma, can I ask, um, my instinct earlier when I said a team of 50 people at the start of the year is probably, you know, that has maybe gone down to 35, they're not going up to 50 again. Um, am I wrong about that? Or I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. So I think we are going to see leaner TA teams. I don't think we're going to see huge um, growth next year but people are just being asked to do more with less which i think doka mentioned earlier so efficiency is a is a key focus i think um ai is really i was actually surprised we've just done a piece of research into ai and i was really surprised only 22 percent to you of respondents are using it at an organizational level and 73% aren't even planning to use it next year. So I think there's quite a lot of caution. So I think because every, everybody who attends Brain Food is quite future focused and sort of really sort of thinking ahead. And I, I was quite surprised, actually. I think a lot of our members are actually just going to sit back, wait and see, perhaps see what the early adopters are doing uh, next year. And then I think we'll start to see more implementation from sort of 2025 and beyond. I wonder what sectors they... Gone. I wonder what sectors they came from. These these folks. Cause I, I, we talked about sector differences. You know, if you're hiring construction, I just wonder whether you might follow the vibe in construction. Maybe it's a little bit more less tech, if you like. Perhaps you know we need to roll back our tech enthusiasm a little bit and dive into some of these industries where there is a clear shortage of talent and therefore need for recruiters, uh, which is you know not what a lot of people want to do. You know, I mean, initially you might think you're optimal is, oh, I want a Series B funded, this, that, the other, that's scaling up in, in this manner, give me this level of compensation. Well, maybe that type of company is no longer doing the things it was. I have a look at some big old construction companies, you know, lots of interesting things and recruitment going on there. Uh, Adam, sorry, I interrupted you. Sorry, right. I was going to say, uh, Emma, you're absolutely right. I think that the like the research that's generated and the opinions that are generated through recruiting brain food are, are probably represent the early adopters. And so... Um, we, we we should consider that. But um, point B, sorry, question, point B of my question earlier about like the shape of recruiting teams, I, I, I also really believe there's probably going to be more, there are more career opportunities for people in talent acquisition than there ever have been. And I think the diversity of um, types of roles that you can do now is probably more, more, more broad than it has. Is that a trend that you would agree with? Yes, um, absolutely. And I think that's also reflected in um, some of the training needs that are coming through. So in the past, um, when with, with our training, traditionally, people have very much focused on sort of the technical skills required in the teams like sourcing or what have you. 
And then, but this time around, when we look back over this year, our most popular training modules have been things like stakeholder management, change management, business partnering, um, and so and project management. So it's sort of it's some of the softer skills that are needed because um, things are just sort of moving so rapidly. And I think the softer skills are going to be increasingly important as we move into next year too. Very interesting. I think that's a very good signal, like where people are parking their L&D budgets, um, because I agree sourcing, you know, for, for almost a decade, sourcing has been just the number one thing. Um, but maybe um, the acquisition of candidates perhaps isn't as pressing as it was before. Um, and secondly, maybe recruiters internally are starting to think, actually, we need to, you know, go beyond this narrow idea of just being a candidate finder um, and, and start expanding scope internally to do other things of value within the company. Um, very, very good. Um, okay, Emma, listen, we've got to keep moving on. Um, so I, I really wanted to have, give you more time. I'm so sorry we haven't been able to do that. Um, but wonderful to see you as always. And uh, and I, I really hope you have a, I really do respect and admire everything you're doing with the firm. Um, I look forward to seeing uh, and supporting your success in 2024. Um, let's make sure we yes, get I'm together. Back in January as well, aren't I? I'm doing my looking into my crystal balls. So. You are crystal balling it on the 12th by the way folks if you didn't know we're going to basically do the mirror version of these four shows for two shows early next year fifth and 12th are forecasting forward what's happening in 2024 emma's coming back for that i do believe neil might be as well if he isn't he's formally invited um and and yeah we've got another amazing lineup of people uh to help us commentate on that let's bring emma on first next time <laughs> You yeah, suffer I, from a lot of time blindness. Do you know that? I, I, I do. Uh, the first person comes on, the witter on, I think it lasts forever. So I'm, I'm pretty bad at this. But Emma, let me let you go. Wonderful to see you. You have Thanks a very so. good Christmas. Thanks, I'll see you next year, okay? You are right, man. I mean, I, there need to be uh, some sort of uh, timekeeper on this. Um, uh, it's not a stop the clock thing. But we've got to bring Sarah on. Let's make sure Sarah can come on. Uh, at least give us the macro on the US um, uh, because uh, um, we can't not have that. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. By the way, follow the channel, folks, uh, because we're going to keep rolling on. Next show after this is the 5th of January. Um, so we've got a two-week break okay. before we go there. There, go. there she is. Awesome. How we nice to see you. And Adam, nice to meet you. Hi. Have you never met Adam? I mean, I'm sure you've I don't been think I have. I think, Adam, I read about you. But, uh, yeah, we need to connect. <laughs> no worries. Well, listen, um, bringing you two together is an additional pleasure of mine. Um, uh, Sarah, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Really quickly, yeah. I'm most recently affiliated with the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, VP of Economic Forecasting. I'm an applied economist. I love to write about the U.S. economy, jobs, AI, in my opinion. It's all over. So fun times. <laughs> great great to hear Sarah um, do make sure you follow Sarah she's also got a really cool newsletter that focuses on labour market economics um, do make sure you follow uh, that and just subscribe to it I think it comes out every week or something doesn't it I, I, forget what I think I have like five editions now so far so not okay bad. once a month that's literally not much in, in terms of consumption so folks go ahead and subscribe to it uh, share the newsletter in the chat stream uh, uh, Sarah when you've got a sec um, okay, let's just have a quick look back a while. I've actually multitasked there. I've realized that's a terrible thing. But um, uh, so uh, give us a look back on 2023 with regards to basically the labor market and the economy uh, on the U.S. side, um, Sarah. 
Absolutely. I feel like 2023, honestly, was like ups and downs. The key word, in my opinion, was resilience, right? You saw the layoffs in January, like, right, with the tech industry. We talked about inflation. That, that was happening the whole year. The Fed was increasing interest rates. We're almost down to that 2% target. Um, you have still more uh, job openings and workers available, but you still have people not wanting to work. There's the caregiving issue. There's the health care concerns. There's been articles that I've been reading this past week from the Wall Street Journal where they're saying, you need to work more. Oh, but wait a minute, we don't have childcare, oh, but we don't want to work. And then there's just so much of that that's happening. And I think uh, most recently, some of the US data also is signaling that this pandemic that we've experienced, you know, a few years ago, it's kind of actually giving the same numbers with respect to employment, uh, with inflation, with economic growth, it was like this pandemic was a natural disaster to the data. But then if you look at how people are really behaving, I think there's still the challenges, right, of being motivated at work, uh, coming to an organization, where you feel respected, right? Getting paid, uh, dealing with other challenges outside of work. And I think it's hard to speak about that at work and be authentic. I think a lot of people are struggling with that. I know that people tell us to be your true self, but honestly, even as an economist, I find that to be sometimes a bit challenging too. But anyway, those are my thoughts initially. No, very interesting. And 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 there, there is a sense, isn't there? There's almost like a, an experts versus the people mm -hmm. type of, type of vibe and that's true yeah. I, I think i've felt that uh, across the uk probably elsewhere as well where th there's a sense that people are they don't want to say people are lazy but that's right. generally what they're saying like jeremy hunt very clearly uh intimacy's chancellor in the uk said yeah people should be working harder uh we mm -hmm. had liz truss our former prime minister was essentially uh caught uh, on, a, on a voice uh, recording saying more yeah. or less the same thing, which is let's hike up the interest rates, let's take the money out of the economy, let's basically bleed away all of the um, uh, uh, the pandemic uh, kind mm -hmm. of welfare, uh, right. uh, uh, which which a lot of people save money during that period. Let's not forget uh, we were paid, we were basically paid a salary not to work for a long period of time. And in fact, we were not able to spend the money because we wouldn't go anywhere. So it was actually, uh, uh, we had a wealth accumulation period uh, for a lot of people during the pandemic period. And, right. you know, a cynical person might say, look, the purpose of ratcheting up the inf interest rates is to bleed down that money uh, so that people will be motivated to work. I need to work. Um, but we're still wrestling with this. So you're still saying people are not that, yet that desperate or they're resisting in some way, um, Sarah? And also, well, I'll add a little bit to that, but um, no, people are obviously dealing with inflation. I mean, I teach on the side. I'm an economist and I'm side hustling myself. So what does that tell you? Uh, it's all real, right? Um, so I think we're not out of the woods yet. I know the wages went up in the U.S., but I don't think people are still feeling that. It's just, um, you know, you're looking at the prices of everything. Uh, but anyway, I did want to make a comment on timing uh, with respect to generative AI. That's something, obviously, I've been following this past year. And I'm Adam, I know you made some interesting comments, too. I agree with all of that. I think that a lot of companies are still risk averse in terms of adopting that technology. But the funny thing is, is generative AI has always been there, right? If you look at, like, World War One. World War II, Department of Defense in the US. I mean, you know, that's been there forever. And now I feel like it's become sexy. It's like, oh, wow, this is such an interesting topic. And me as an economist, I'm always creating models. I'm always looking at the data. And I think that's something that's still important to talk about the ethics of the data. How is that being constructed? Do we have representative samples? What's the use case of generative AI? I'm a big fan of Google Bard. I don't know about any of you all. Just kind of curious what your thoughts are on that. 
Yeah, Google Bard, I think, uh, for people who don't know, is probably the number, maybe not the number two, but it's, it's basically Google's version of ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's still pretty much um, uh, a minority player in the UK um, in, in different places. So, uh, but yeah, um, uh, no question, uh, people are using it uh, at a... Uh, using AI in general uh, at an individual experimenter kind of way, uh, although I don't think uh, that many people um, have operationalized it in a certainly not departmental or company level at this stage. It's going to wait, I think, until a product comes out to do that. This is what Adam's trying to do. You're going to see Microsoft and other companies just rolling AI into people, whether you like it or not. And I think that's probably how most of us will, will start interacting with it. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting type of situation. Um, it, it's an additional wrinkle into all of the macroeconomic stuff because it does have an impact on how many people you need to do the job, for instance, uh, or what even job performance looks like now that we have AI in the scene. Um, I mean, it's got me thinking about how you manage performance now um mm -hmm. if you're managing someone you wanted this output that's great but what if this person is able to do this output in like a tenth of the time guess what as a manager you're going to be tempted to raise the bar in terms of what it is you're not just going to accept Absolutely. that like, good performers so, are always punished i totally get it because productivity yeah. is that it's, it's output over input so it's like oh damn there it goes um <laughs> the other thing I'll, I'll say is uh for this past year the resilience topic i was thinking about how is ai impacting people's ability right to find jobs but also what are the skills that they should develop right what are the hard skills what are the soft skills i still think the hard skills are the math the statistics right uh, data science and the soft skills again to me are more about communication. If you can talk to somebody, a lay person about technical information and communicate that in a way that people understand, it's a game changer. That's why I teach economics. That is why. It's not because I'm an economist. I just like to teach it. So I think that's been helpful. So all of you, teach an econ class. That's my advice to the listeners today. Teach yeah. your class. <laughs> can I ask, is there any in, again, instinctively, completely um, ignorant comment here, but are we as a species getting less resilient? Because that's what my instinct would tell me. <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like everything is so easy for many of us in uh, places of privilege. I mean, I speak as an American, of course, sitting here in Chicago right now. And then but then you look at across the pond, across the world. Right. There's unfortunately, you know, places of global conflict. And, and you see those folks just, yeah. wow, their resilience is off the chart. So it's yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just so mixed. Yeah. I think resilience can be trained, but it can also be detrained. Um, mm -hmm. So in other words, if you don't expose yourself to adversity, um, mm -hmm. you often, I mean, everyone knows that. Um, uh, you need to regularly expose yourself to adversity in a controlled environment, in a controlled way. Um, and that's basically how you build resilience. Um, we, we talked about this during COVID, actually, um, when, you know, everyone was shocked. It was terrible. Then we realized, actually, a lot of us were able to cope with it. Um, and it's basically a kind of just a muscle memory of, Surprising things that happen, can you deal with a random surprise and still be productive? Or mm -hmm. can you reduce the amount of time when you're literally throwing your arms in the air and thinking, oh, my God, um, let's face it, we all do that. But if you can yeah. shrink that down from three days to like 10 minutes, guess what? You're going to be more resilient. That's basically what resilience is. 
uh, you have a short window where you're bedazzled by an unexpected situation. So I think you can train it. Um, I don't know how to train it. I wouldn't call myself particularly resilient uh, per se. Um, certainly, I've been blessed not to have like genuine adversity come across my life to date. Um, touch wood. Hopefully, I don't get to see it. Um, but yeah, I think we can uh, we can get to the point where basically you know we could develop develop a bit more resilience in, internally. Adam, you're happy. No, that's not. No, that's not. That's not true. You are very resilient. You are extremely resilient. You, 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 you run it. You're a solopreneur who's gone through a heck of a lot of different, like business challenges over the last few years that have come to you from nothing, nothing to do with you with COVID and other things like that. So you're very, very resilient. And Sarah, I, I, you're. I mean, I'm one of those like massive place of privilege. So I completely get that. So I did caveat what I said with 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 the point of view of ignorance but um i and your point about conflict is really important as well because i i I do i think about it as somebody in the united kingdom i think about this in the context of like people who went through world war one and world war two so like my people my my grandparents generation and that's why i'm just what you know that's the comparison i was i was i was at so absolutely absolutely um, folks, listen, we are like well over time. So, uh, Sarah, I, I'm really sorry. I really wanted to get you on earlier, but obviously, time management is going to be a New Year's resolution for Hung Lee. Uh, I need to do a much better version of this. Um, but let me let you go. I, w- I, w- I, w- I hope you have a very happy uh, holiday and a great new year. Uh, I don't know whether you, you get the chance to come over to the UK again, but if you do, do let me know. Uh, be cool to catch up. Um, and yeah, maybe I'll get to uh, uh, go stateside. I'm actually in Toronto, not uh, next year, it's not too far away from Chicago, is it? Um, yeah. um, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll drop you a line, see whether you know you can hop across the uh, the border or whatnot. Um, I'll get my passport, yes, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. Let me let you go. You have a very good day, Sarah. Good to see you, bro. Take care, bye bye. Cool. Um, all right. Um, that's about it. We have to finish here. Adam, thanks for hanging on. Uh, folks, everybody, thank you for watching Brain Food Live on air. I thank you for supporting the show all year. Some of us have been here week in, week out. I can see the names there. Steve Jewell, Tom Bolt, Rob Walker. Um, a lot of you uh, are just basically relentlessly supporting this. Um, so I do thank you all for it. It makes a huge difference. Um, I think it's important we keep these conversations going um, because I think we got to get it out. We can't just say uh, keep it internally. So, uh, folks, uh, let me take the time to wish everyone a very happy uh, holidays, great Christmas, happy New Year. We're back on the 5th of January. Um, we'll see you there for the forecast. Um, now have a good evening. Thanks for watching, everybody. <sighs> That's it, mate. Right. Can we quickly talk about Day of Reckoning? Yeah, so well, it's going to be massive, obviously. Um, I've never seen I, anything like it. Have you? I, I actually hope Wilder and AJ both get knocked out. I've got to be honest, I'm tired of them. Tired of them. It's like it's, uh, watching the same old people every, like, te- it's been decades worth, and they still haven't got in the ring. It's like, okay, fine. Let, let's get have them both sparked out. It's done. With next generation come in, you know. It's just... Yeah, but this is the this is the thing though. It's the it's the hey, uh, like who wants to talk about boxing? Come on. Um, I tell you what. Um, yeah. The uh, Angela talk about boxing. She's a big yeah, fan. So absolutely, I, I, get Angela on definitely. I tell you something Tom. though. Let me just. There's a way I can unlock this. Um, Dubois uh, against B- Big Baby Miller is. No, uh, Dubois is not Dubois is getting knocked out. Did you say? No, 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 no. Baby Miller's. 
knocked out round one, no doubt. Um, not viable. He's, not. he's 100 pounds more than Dubois. That's exactly the reason. He's completely unfit. Um, talking of resilience, talking of yeah. resilience, du, Dubois has arguably quit twice. He did fracture his orbital bone, mate. I don't think you can continue if that's the situation, to he be didn't honest. didn't fracture his orbital bone against, uh, against Usyk. Uh, yeah, oh, he beat Usyk, right. didn't he? I mean, more or less. Um, but anyway, listen, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think Frank Sanchez is going to beat Junior Farr. I think Matt Madov is going to beat Caballel. I don't, uh, Angela said um, that... Uh, she reckons Lyndon Arthur has got a chance against Bivol, and that's n- no chance. Uh, and Angela is in the ta- Angela is in the towel after getting out of the shower. Yeah, so that is n- that's no impediment for anybody for you not to come on the show. We've Angela. had people in a towel on um, before. We have the, the, the precedent's been set. I've been in a I've been in a dressing gown before. That's no problem. Come on in. Um, um, no, no, no. That's uh, okay. Um, no, Miller. Miller, I think, has got a very, very good chance of beating Dubois. Dubois got Dubois got no engine either. Dubois if Dubois going to turn it into a four round fight, and the chances of him knocking out Miller in four rounds is very low. Yeah, no, Miller's never been knocked out. Absolutely correct. Uh, All right, he's won every. He's twenty three and zero. We're talking about boxingly. Round one. Uh, round one. Um, okay, what about think, AJ? He, he's well, going to beat Wallen. He's what? He's this other guy is like literally. He's. He's yeah. not. He's not in there. I mean, oh no, Wallace's it's good. It's a points win, mate. Boring points it, win. It, it is a boring point. It's a boring points win. Otto Wallace's good though. I mean, he's only ever been beaten by Fury, and that was really close. That no, but uh... AJ has actually beaten him twice in the amateurs. I think. Um, not to say that means too much, but it's. It's. I think two wins in a row is significant. Um, so anyway, what about Wilder, man? I mean, is he going to windmill? Windmill the dude out, probably will. Be um, yeah, again, again, uh, like same thing again. Joseph Parker's got to turn it into a four round fight. If he tries, if he sticks it on Wilder, like up close for four rounds on the inside, he's got a chance. But the longer yeah. it goes, the longer there is the chance of just getting that right hand right in the face. Yeah, I mean, again, the, both of them are just like past it now. I mean, they're getting to the no, point where... no, 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 no. Joseph Parker's getting better and better, I think. No, no, I'm talking about AJ and Wilder. Like they've oh. peaked and they're on their way. When when you slide at heavyweight, I think you slide fast. So I think they're they're, How... they're both. I mean, done. why are you saying that about Wilder? He's only he's only really had one fight in the last two years. It was a one round knockout of Felanius. He's um... about thirty seven, mate. Um, no, he, he's and more than he. That. he He's actually had a, a, a. He's 38. He's he's not had insignificant beatings, mate. Uh, uh, if you remember the Ortiz fight, he was getting pounded. He's been punching the head a lot. So he was. He, I mean, yes, absolutely. I mean, the Fury Fury fights. Yeah. Like Fury, the second Fury fight was like an absolute beatdown. Um, the third yeah. Fury fight was was a beatdown. For they were they were both battered, but I mean, Fury deserved to win, of course. But the second one, Wilder got. Like it was like a fourteen-year-old getting smashed up by an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So I've uh, I've realised you 